one of the mixed blocks over on Central Avenue. The blocks that are not yet all Negro. A white man was standing outside the barbershop, looking up at the neon sign of a second-floor Diamond Dice Emporium, with a sort of ecstatic fixity of expression. Like a hunky immigrant catching his first sight of the Statue of Liberty. Florians! He was a big man, but not more than six feet five inches tall and not wider than a beer truck. He wore a rough gray sports coat with white golf balls for buttons, a yellow tie and alligator shoes with white explosions on the toes. He looked about as inconspicuous as a tarantula on a slice of angel food. His eyes had a shine close to tears, and after a long time, he smiled. Florians. He pushed open the doors and moved inside. If he had been more quietly dressed, I might have thought he was going to pull a stick up. Before the doors had stopped swinging, they opened violently, and something came sailing out and landed in the gutter between two parked cars. It was a narrow-shouldered brown youth in a lilac-colored suit. He retrieved his hat and sidled over to the wall. I walked along to the double doors. It wasn't any of my business. So I pushed them open and walked in. A hand came out of the dimness and started wrecking my shoulder. A dinge. I just throwed him out. You see me throw him out? It's that kind of place. What did you expect? Don't say that, pal. Velma used to work here. Little Velma. My shoulder. Little Velma. I ain't seen her in eight years. You say this here is a dinge joint? Yeah. Let's you and me going up, or maybe nibble a couple. They won't serve you. It's a color joint. Eight long years. She ain't wrote to me in six, but she'll have a reason. She used to work here. Cute she was. Let's you and me going up, huh? All right, just let go of my shoulder. Little Velma used to work here. A large, thick-necked black man was leaning against the end of the bar. He had Bouncer written all over him. No white folks, brother. Just for the colored people. I'm sorry. Shinebox, where's Velma at? No Velma here, brother. No hoots, no girls, no nothing. Just a scram, white boy. Just a scram. Velma used to work here. But she don't work here no more. She done retired. <laughs> Gotta take your mitts off my shirt. The bouncer had his reputation to consider. He considered it for a second and made a mistake. He swung a fist very hard and hit the big man on the side of the jaw. It was a good punch. The big man took it, shook himself lightly, took hold of the bouncer and heaved him clear across the room. His legs twitched. Then he lay still. Yeah, let you and me nibble one. Whiskey sour. Call yours. Whiskey sour? Yes, sir. You know where little Valmer is? Uh, not right lately, no, sir. This fellow wouldn't know anything about a white girl named Valmer. Nobody here would. It was a little stage in a band. Huh? Valmer did some wobbling. Redhead she was. Cute as lace pants. We was to be married when they hung the frame on me. What frame? Where'd you figure I've been them eight years I said about? Catching butterflies? In the caboose. Malloy's the name. 
They call me Moose on account of I'm large. The Great Bend Bank job. Forty grand. Solo job. Ain't that something? You gonna spend it now? He gave me a sharp look. The bouncer was on his feet again. He had his hand on the knob of a dark door over behind the crab table. He got the door open and fell through. Hey, uh, you. Where's that go? Oh, that, that's the boss's office back there, Mr. Montgomery. He might know. He crossed the room, light-footed, not a care in the world. He went through and shut the door behind him. The barman leaned down with his right arm behind the counter. I took hold of the arm. What you got down there, Bo? Got me a sawed off. This isn't the time to pull any artillery. Well, says you, I'll sit. What was that? Someone slammed the door. No, I don't think so. Nobody try any fancy pants. I got me a 45. Freezy mitts on the bar. <clears throat> well, so long, punks. Gotta catch a streetcar. You didn't pay for the drinks. Hmm, maybe you got something there. But I wouldn't squeeze it too hard. Through the door behind the crab table was a corridor. The bouncer was on the floor out cold with a knife in his hand. Down the corridor was a door marked office. Behind the small scarred desk a man was sitting. Jesus. His head was folded back over the high back of his chair. Just folded. Like a handkerchief or a hinge. A drawer of the desk was open. The gun would have come from there. To go for his gun had probably seemed like a good idea at the time, but the position of Mr. Montgomery's head proved that the idea had been wrong. Another shine killing. That's what I read after 18 years in this police department. Well, I'm Marlowe, private investigator. One of those guys, huh? What was you doing all that time? All what time? All the time Moose Malloy was twisting the neck of the smoke. He hadn't promised me he wasn't going to break anybody's neck. Go ahead, ride me. Everybody else does. Poor old Nolte. Always good for a laugh, Nolte is. It happened in another room. I didn't know he had killed anybody until after he left. You'll get him. I'll get him about the time I get my third set of teeth. <sighs> How many guys is put on it? One. Poor old Nolte. Try looking for the girl, Velma. That's a good idea you got there. You might pick something up. Me? What do I get out of it? It ain't doing you any harm to have a pal in the department. I wouldn't forget it, pal. <clears throat> okay. If I think of anything, it's yours. It was two hours since Moose Malloy had left Florian's. I ate lunch at a drugstore and bought a pint of bourbon. Nothing made it my business except curiosity. The hunch I had was as vague as the heat waves that danced above the sidewalk. I checked the phone book. There was only one Florian. Jesse, widow, at 1644 West 54th Place. You're the Mrs. Florian whose husband once ran a place of entertainment on Central Avenue? Who did you say he was? I'm a detective. I'd like a little information. The radio was a large, brand-new cabinet. Everything else was junk. I leaned back on the sofa against something hard, felt for it, and brought out an empty quart gin bottle. Mike's been gone these five years. 
Hope to Christ these cheap enough blondes where he is. He never got enough of them here. I was thinking more about a redhead. Uh, I guess he could use a few of them, too. A girl named Velma? Kind of hot today, ain't it? I got a pint of bourbon. Hey, you ain't no copper. What's the gag, mister? This Velma was an entertainer, a singer. You wouldn't know her? Man, that's liquor. I don't give a damn who you are, just hold it careful, mister. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, man. This stuff dies painless with me. <laughs> what was we talking about? A red-haired girl named Velma. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Who you say you was? I'm a private detective. Oh. Well, you ain't said that, mister. But your liquor says you're an all right guy at that, huh? Here's to crime. <laughs> Cute little redhead. Yeah. Yeah, I remember her. Nice legs. And generous with them. She, uh, she went off somewheres. Help yourself to the whiskey. I could run out for some more if we needed. Hold on to your chair. Don't step on no snakes. I, uh, I got me an idea. I sneaked into the hall and put my head round the bedroom door. She was groping about in a trunk. She came up with a thick package. She slipped an envelope out of the package, leaned down and thrust it out of sight into the right-hand side of the trunk. I sneaked back the way I had come. She came in and threw me the package. <clears throat> Look them over. Photos. Newspaper stills. They're all the bastard left me. <laughs> them and his old clothes. <laughs> I leafed through shiny photographs of men and women in professional poses. Hoofers and comics. Blondes and brunettes. One or two of them might have had red hair. You couldn't tell from the photographs. I wouldn't know any of these. Why am I looking at them? Ain't you looking for Velma? Pour me a drink before you kill the bottle. Hey! Hey! What are you doing? I walked swiftly through into the bedroom, plunged a hand into the right side of the trunk, felt an envelope, and brought it up. What do you say? Hey, you're, you're not dealing with a lug like Moose Malloy. Moose? The Moose? What about him? He's out of jail. He killed a black man over on Central this morning because he wouldn't say where Velma was. Yeah, Philly. I opened the envelope and drew out a still. She was nicer than the others. The face was pretty. Below the waist, the photo was mostly legs, and nice legs at that. It was signed across the lower right-hand corner. Always yours, Velma Valento. <laughs> ah, 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 ah. Why hide it? Where is she? She's dead. She was a good kid, but she's dead. Beat a copper. That still doesn't say why you hit it. Get out, you son of a bitch. I'm a poor, sick old woman. You just get out! I picked up my hat and went out. In the next house, a window curtain was drawn aside and a narrow, intent face was close to the glass, peering. An old woman's face. I waved a hand at her. 
the curtain fell. I went back to my office and phoned Nulty and told him about Jesse Florian. Then I stared at the wall. Marlowe? You are Philip Marlowe, a private detective? Check. My name is Lindsay Marriott. I should like you to come to my house at 7 o'clock this evening. Where's that? 4212 Cabrillo Street. I'll be there. Yeah? It's Nulty. The moose went to see the Florian dame. Go on. We got a call from some old window peeker. He goes in fast and is in about five minutes only. Just before he gets back in his car, he takes a big gat out and spins the chamber. That's why she calls up. She don't hear no shots, though, inside the house. That must have been a big disappointment. Yeah, nifty. Remind me the laugh of my day off. The prowl boys go down there. Nobody's home. So about an hour after that, the old lady phones in and says Mrs. Florian is home again. So they give the call to me, and I ask her what makes that important, and she hangs up in my face. What do you make of it? Nothing much. Maybe I should go over and see her. Yeah, that's a good idea. If you can get somebody to lift you out of your chair. I got down to Cabrillo Street as the light began to fade. Yes? Seven o'clock, on the dot. Ah, oh, yes. Come in, Marlowe. My houseboy is away this evening. Yes. Well, what I wish to see you about is, as a matter of fact, a very slight matter indeed. I'm meeting a couple of men tonight and paying them some money. I thought I might as well have someone with me. You carry a gun? At times. Well, I shan't want you to carry that. This is purely a business transaction. I hardly ever shoot at anybody. Blackmail? Certainly not. I expect a call giving me particulars. I have to be ready to leave at once. It won't be very far away from here. That's the understanding. You left your bodyguard problem until pretty late. I had some difficulty making my mind up. I should be carrying a large amount of money, and it is not my money. I'm acting for a friend. How much money? And what for? I can't go in at that. You just want me to go along and hold your hat. I don't like your manner. I've had complaints, but nothing seems to do any good. You want a bodyguard, but he can't wear a gun. You want to help her, but he isn't supposed to know what he's supposed to do. What are you offering for all this? A hundred dollars. There's no risk. Some jewels were taken from a friend of mine in a hold-up. I'm buying them back. Have you ever heard of Fate Suede Jade? No. It's the only really valuable kind. My friend owns a necklace worth about $80,000. It was taken in a hold-up a few nights ago. I was present. They said to wait for a phone call and we could pay a ransom. We've been negotiating by telephone for several days. It is to be some time tonight. There's nothing to prevent them double-crossing you. I suppose that's really why I wanted someone with me. Why'd you pick me? <laughs> I have to confess, I merely picked your name at random out of the phone book. Okay. But I drive the car and carry the money. You can hide in the back. The call came at eight minutes past ten. Purissima Canyon, off the Foothill Boulevard. I made Marriott sit in the back of the car. The, those lights off to the right of the Belvedere Beach Club. The canyon is the next on the left. Keep your head down. We found a dirt road that narrowed and dropped slowly downhill between walls of brush. The acrid smell of sage filled the night. The lights of the Belvedere Beach Club hung in the air to the right. Then a white painted barrier loomed across the track. I don't think you can get past it. Sit tight. 
gonna go down there and have a look. Okay. Keep your head down. I walked forward past the barrier. There was more room than I thought. The road ended in a shallow bowl entirely surrounded by brush. I stood there in silence and listened. Minutes passed. I seemed to have that hollow pretty much to myself. I turned to go back up the hill. Still nothing. The black car stood dimly shining against a grayness which was neither darkness nor light. I went over to it. Looks like a tryout. Just to see if you obey orders. Marriott? Whoever it was had a nice easy shot at the back of my head. Marriott? <laughs> I was lying on my back. I felt sick. This voice was talking. Four minutes, possibly five. It could have been a little longer. It must have been in the bush, right where the car stopped. I opened my eyes and looked fuzzily at a cold star. The guy scared easily. It must have thrown a small light in his face and he passed out just from panic, the pansy. I got up on one knee. Pain shot from the back of my head clean to my ankles. Oh, then they hit again and waited for you to come back. They must have figured he would have been afraid to come alone. I balanced myself on the flat of my hands, listening to the voice. Yeah, that's how it was. It was my voice. I was talking to myself, coming out of it, trying to figure the thing out. <sighs> oh, shut up, you dimwit. <sighs> my hand went to the inside pocket of my overcoat. The money was gone. I felt my head. Good old head. I'd had it a long time. It was a little soft now, a little pulpy, but I could use it another year anyway. I looked at my watch. I'd been out for twenty minutes. I got up. Car was gone. I followed tire tracks down into the hollow. It was there, silent, lightless, all the doors shut. A sound froze me. A small coupe slid down the track. It stopped for a moment by the barrier then came on down into the hollow. Its lights raked the car. I got my head down in a hurry. All right, you, come out of there with your hands up and very damned empty, you're covered. I'm holding a 10-shot automatic. Put it up or I'll blow it out of your hand. Oh, a hard-boiled gentleman. I'll count three. I can see your feet under there, you know. Ankle bones take years and years to get well. Okay. I talk too much when I'm scared, too. Don't move another inch. Who are you? That's not a tan shot. It's just a little bitty gun. Shame on you for telling a deliberate lie like that. Are you crazy? I've been sapped. I might be a little woozy. Is that your car? No. What were you looking at back there when you stopped? A man. 
Does he have blonde hair and waves? Not now. He might have. Once. He lay smeared to the ground on his back, at the base of a bush, in that bag of clothes position that always means the same thing. Hold the flash on him, if it doesn't make you sick. You shouldn't touch him until the police come. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> Somebody must have hated him to smash in his head like that. It might not have been personal. Some people just like to smash heads. Two cigarette cases. Maybe in keeping the silk one for a lady friend. Three fat cigarettes. Do you suppose they're jujus? What do you think? Here. I don't... Hey! Give me back my gun! You didn't have to be rough. I didn't think you killed him. Red hair? You look Irish. My name's Reardon. What are you doing around here? Just riding. I noticed a light in the hollow. It seemed a little cold for young love. You take some awful chances, Miss Reardon. I had a gun. I wasn't afraid. Here. I suppose you have a permit for it. I ride a little. Feature articles. Any money in it? Very damn little. I better put that fancy cigarette case back. I'll do it. What were you looking for in his pockets? We had $8,000 to buy back some stolen jewelry. We got hijacked. Why they killed him, I don't know. There was something wrong with the job from the start. I could feel it. I needed the money. Do you need the flash? No, no. It's done. No, I have to go to the cops and eat dirt. I could go call the cops. No. Why not? I just feel it that way. I'll play it alone. You need a drink. I don't want any help. You can drop me in my car. It's outside the cafe on Mount Mar Vista. I could I've go... got to think. I want to be by myself for a while. When I got to my car, I was shaking again. There was a bar right in front of me. But it seemed smarter to walk into West Los Angeles Police Station the way I did 20 minutes later. As cold as a frog and as green as the back of a new dollar bill. The oftener you tell it, the sillier it sounds. It was an hour and a half later. The ground had been gone over, the body had been taken away, and I had told my story three or four times. Detective Randall from Central Homicide was a thin, quiet man in his fifties, with smooth, creamy gray hair, cold eyes, and a dark red tie with spots on it. The spots kept dancing in front of my eyes. This man, Marriott, had been negotiating for days about this payoff, and then just a few hours before the meeting, he calls up a perfect stranger and hires him to go with him as a bodyguard. Yeah. Where did he hear of you? First he said a mutual friend, then that he just picked my name out of the book. He had your card, your business card. It was in his wallet. Oh. He let you carry the money. $8,000. I don't have it. Sorry. You wouldn't be here if you did. Or would you? I'd do a lot for $8,000. But if I wanted to kill a man with a sap, I'd only hit him twice at the most on the back of the head. Yeah. But it might be meant to look like an amateur job. Go back a bit. Somebody had stuck up Marriott and a lady and taken this jade necklace and had later offered to sell it back for what seemed like a pretty small amount. Marriott was to handle the payoff. Uh-huh. 
He decided it was all right to have you along. Both of you figured that you were dealing with an organized gang and that they would play ball. Uh-huh. Marriott was scared. He wants company, so he hires you, a complete stranger. Uh-huh. Then at the last minute, you decide to carry the money and do the talking while he hides in the car. He didn't like the idea at first. But he gave in. Yeah. So, finally, he gets the call and off you go. When you get there, there seems to be nobody about. You're supposed to drive down into the hollow, but there doesn't seem to be room enough for the big car. So you get out and walk down, wait a few minutes, come back to the car, and then somebody socks you on the back of the head. Suppose Marriott wanted that money and wanted to make you the fall guy. Oh, so Marriott socked me, took the money, then he got sorry and beat his own brains out after first burying the money under a bush. <laughs> He had an accomplice, of course. Only the accomplice double-crossed Marriott by killing him. Why not assume he was telling the truth? And that he perhaps recognized one of the stick-up men? You heard no struggle, no cry. He you... could have been too scared to cry out when they jumped him. Somebody sticks a gun in his face and makes him get out, quietly. But something he says, or some way he looks, makes them think he's recognized somebody. If this was an organized gang, they wouldn't kill without a lot of provocation. Another thing, how did you get here? I drove my car. Where was your car? Down at Montmar Vista. I walked back to the highway and flagged the car. I didn't get the license number. Sure. Can I go home now? I don't feel any too well. You can go. Oh, one small point. Did you notice what kind of cigarettes Marriott smoked? Yeah, brown ones, South American, in a French enamel case. Ever see this cigarette case before? Lying around somewhere. You didn't search the body? Okay, I looked through his pockets. Just professional curiosity. I didn't disturb anything. Randall opened the silk cigarette case. It was empty. The three cigarettes had gone. I bit hard on my teeth and kept the tired look in my eyes. It was not easy. Did you see him smoke a cigarette out of this? No. There's a little dust in it. I'm going to have it examined. I have an idea. It's marijuana. He needed something to cheer him up. That's all. And keep your nose clean. Got up at nine, drank three cups of black coffee, bathed the back of my head with ice water, and read the morning papers. There was a paragraph about Moose Malloy, but Nulty didn't even get his name mentioned. There was nothing about the killing of Lindsay Marriott. I drove down to my office. I opened the door of the little reception, which I always kept unlocked in case I had a client and the client wanted to wait. I didn't know what your office hours were. Your secretary isn't here today. I don't have a secretary, Miss Reardon. I should think you'd want somebody to answer the phone. And once in a while to send your curtains to the cleaners. I'll send them out. Come since Swithin's day. Come through. Have a chair. How's your head? Uh, poorly. I don't think you're very pleased to see me. I tried to leave you out of it. I've been warned to leave it alone. Would you like to know who the Jake necklace belonged to? Why? Because I know. Uh-huh. What do you do when you get real talkative? Wiggle your toes? You came here to tell me. Go ahead and tell me. 
My father was a cop. He was police chief of Bay City for seven years, Cliff Reardon. I seem to remember. What happened to him? He was fired. It broke his heart. A mob of gamblers headed by a man named Laird Brunette elected themselves a mayor, and they put that in charge of records and identification. So he quit, and then he died. I'm sorry. It makes it easy for me to get along with policemen. So this morning I found out that Randall was in charge of your case, and I went to see him. You what? Randall was a little sore at you. He told me about the necklace. <sighs> So who does it belong to, and how did you find out? I went to the best jeweler in town, Blocks. I said I was doing a feature on rare jade. He told me it belongs to Mrs. Lewin Lockridge Grail. Her husband is an investment banker or something enormously rich. He used to own a radio station in Beverly Hills, and Mrs. Grail used to work there. He married her five years ago. He's elderly, liverish. Stays home and takes calomel while Mrs. Grail goes places and has a good time. I got a photo. Blocks didn't give you the photo. Oh no, I got that from Giddy Gertie Arbogast. He's a society editor of the Chronicle. Here, look. She was a blonde to make a bishop kick a hole in a stained glass window. Whatever you needed, wherever you happened to be, she had it. Take it away. I'll start jumping. I called her up. She'll see you. On business. It may start out that way. I asked her if she'd like her necklace back. I said you could help her. Will you go to see her or won't you? Randall can't stop me. Good.、Huh. I'm talking to her again at two. I'll call you after. Aren't you forgetting something? Oh, I guess you mean these. I knew they were Juju's. I shouldn't have taken them. I thought it was kind of mean for the poor man to be found dead with marijuana cigarettes in his pocket. I shouldn't have done it. Why didn't you throw them away? You don't just throw away evidence. Oh, sure. I'm horribly sorry. I shouldn't have done it. I laid the cigarettes in a neat row. They were pretty big cigarettes. Evidence. God. My head ached. I got my penknife open and slit one down the middle. The mouthpiece part was pretty tough to slit. Okay, I was a tough guy. I slit it anyway. See? Can you stop me? It opened out, and there was a card rolled up. By appointment only, psychic consultant Jules Amther. Stillwood Heights. Give him enough time and pay him enough money, and he'll cure anything from a jaded husband to a grasshopper plague, a fakealoo artist, a hoopla spreader, with his card rolled up inside sticks of tea found on a dead man. This was going to be good. Hello. May I talk to Mr. Jules Amther? He is very busy. When you wish to see him, right away. Next week, perhaps. I will look at the book. Never mind the book. My name is Philip Marlowe. My number is Glenview seven five three seven. Got that? Yes, Mister Marlowe. I want to see Mister Amther about a man named Marriott. It's very urgent. You call me back, no? Mister Marriott, he is sick. Well, he's not up and around. 
I hung up and lunged for the office bottle. I felt as if I'd been through a meat grinder. Ten minutes passed. <clears throat> Amthor, he will see you at six o'clock. He will send a car. I have a car of my own. He will send a car. I looked at my watch. It was more than time for lunch. I was halfway to the elevator before the thought hit me like a drop brick. I stopped and leaned against the marble wall and pushed my hat around on my head and laughed. Then I went back to my office and called up a man I knew who worked for a property title company. Charlie, can you find a property by address alone? Sure. I have a cross-index right here. What is it? 1644 West 54th Place. I'd like to know a little something about the condition of the title. Hold on. Get your pencil out. Uh-huh. Lot 8 of Block 11 of the Maplewood Tract. Owner of the record. Subject to certain things. Jesse Pierce Florian, widow. Yeah, subject to what things? Second half taxes, first trust deed. It's very high for that neighborhood. Unless it's a new house. It's a very old house. Then that's odd. The refinancing was done only four years ago. Who holds it? Man named Lindsay Marriott. I forget what I said to him, or what thanks I made. I got my car out of the parking lot and drove south and east towards West 54th Place. I didn't carry any liquor with me this time. I saw the curtain move in the house next door to Jesse Florian's. A sharp nose almost flattened itself against the inside of the glass, white hair above it. I turned in and climbed the wooden steps. Yes? Are you the lady who called the police about Mrs. Florian? <laughs> I ain't saying that I am, young man. And I ain't saying that I ain't. Who are you? I'm a detective. Sake. Well, why didn't you say so? Well, what's she done now? I ain't missed a minute. What do you know about Mrs. Florian? She ain't neighborly. She plays their radio loud late nights. My opinion is that she drinks liquor. Does she have many visitors? She don't have no visitors at all. The big man you saw. This man's a murderer. Oh, land's sake. Folks ain't safe a minute in this town. When I come here 22 years ago, we didn't lock our doors hardly. Uh, she gets a, a registered letter first of every month. I see the mailman go up to the door and get her to sign. First day of every month. Dresses up then and goes out. He don't come home till all hours. You're one of a thousand, ma'am. Tomorrow's the first. Uh, first of April. Be sure to notice whether she gets her registered letter, will you, ma'am? April Fool's Day. Maybe she won't get it. <laughs> Nobody answered my ring or knock next door. Mrs. Florian? Mrs. Florian? Mrs. Florian? Good afternoon, Mrs. Florian. Are you sick? You get him? The moose. Sure. Not yet. You ought to keep your house locked up. He might come back. 
You think I'm scared of the moose? You acted like it yesterday. You got any liquor? No. So what are you scared of? Oh, beat it. You coppers will never catch that boy. He's good, and he's got dough, and he's got friends. Well, it is Velma pretty bad. She's dead, you said. Where did she die? Ballard, Texas. Got a cold, and it went to the chest. You were there? Hell no. Who told you? I forget the name. Maybe a good stiff drink would help some. I looked up the title on your house. I don't know just why. There's a rather large trust deed on it. Held by a man named Lindsay Marriott. I used to work for him. I used to be a servant in his family. He kind of takes care of me a little. I want to see him last night. He offered me a job. You're a clever son of a bitch. Might be nothing at all. Well, goodbye, Mrs. Florian. By the way, I don't think you'll be getting a registered letter tomorrow morning. Yeah? She sat up in bed. Something glittered in her right hand. A small revolver. A banker's special. It was old and worn, but it looked businesslike. Tell it. Tell it fast. You and I could work together. Huh? The gun and her jaw dropped at the same time. I was inches from the door. I slid through it. Think it over. I went fast out of the house. My back felt queer as I went down the walk. The muscles crawled. I drove back to Hollywood. The phone was ringing as I stepped into the office. Yes? Am I addressing Mr. Philip Marlowe? Yes. This is Mrs. Grail's residence, Mrs. Lewin Lockridge Grail. Mrs. Grail would like to see you here as soon as convenient. Where? Astor Drive in Bay City. May I say you will arrive within the hour? Are you Mr. Grail? Certainly not, sir. I'm the butler. That's me here, ringing the doorbell. The house itself was not so much. It was smaller than Buckingham Palace and probably had fewer windows than the Chrysler building. Mr. Marlowe, if you will come this way, please. We went down a hall. The butler reached a door, opened it, stood aside, and I went in. There were three people sitting in a sudden silence watching me. One of them was Anne Reardon. One was a tall, thin, sad-faced man with a stony chin and deep eyes, and no color to him but an unhealthy yellow. The third was the blonde. So nice of you to come. This is my husband. How do you do? Makes Mr. Marlowe a drink, honey. Thanks. Do you think you can do anything for us? The loss of the necklace is rather small, compared with having any more fuss with gangsters and awful people. I don't know. What is there to go on? Honey? Yes? Do you have to bother with this? Oh, no, no. Very glad to have met you, Mr. Marlowe. Sir? I'll go and lie down for a while. Miss Reardon is in your complete confidence, of course. Nobody's in my complete confidence, Mrs. Grail. 
You're a very good-looking man to be in your sort of racket. It's a smelly business. I didn't quite mean that. To hell with this polite drinking. Push that table over here, will you, so I can reach <clears throat> the bottle? Thank you. You want to freshen that up, Miss Reardon? No, thank you very much. How does one get to be a private detective? I worked for the DA for a while. I got fired. Have you had any more phone calls from the awful people? Well, perhaps I should go. Thanks very much for talking to me, Mrs. Grail. I won't use anything. You have my word for it. Heavens, you're not leaving. Afraid I'll have to. Goodbye, Mrs. Grail. Drop in again soon. Anytime. Thank you. It's much better this way. Don't you think? She came by last night to the dell where Marriott was killed. She happened to see a light and came down there. That's horrible to think of. Poor Lynn. He was rather a heel. But to die like that is awful. You're not drinking. I'm doing what I call drinking. Did Lynn tell you how my holdup happened? He didn't say exactly. There was something rather funny about that holdup. I hardly ever wore the jade... Yet they snapped at it. Who knew you'd be wearing it that night? My maid. Then there's Newton, the butler. He might have seen it. But it hangs down rather low, and I was wearing a white fox fur wrap. I bet you looked a dream. You're not getting a little tight, are you? I've been known to be sober. Let's get the record straight, and then I'll tell you something. Describe the evening. What's the time? I ought to be... Let him wait. There's such a thing as being just a little too frank. Not in my business. Describe the evening, or have me thrown out on my ear, one or the other. Make your lovely mind up. You better sit over here beside me. I've been thinking that ever since you crossed your legs. Aren't you a pretty fast worker? Do you do much of this sort of thing? Practically none. I'm a Tibetan monk in my spare time. How much are you going to pay me? I thought you were going to get my necklace back. You'd get the reward. I have to work my own way and investigate a murder. That's a police affair, isn't it? Poor guy paid me a hundred bucks to take care of him. Makes me feel guilty. Have another drink. Mm. Mm. Well, where have we got to? How did the holdup happen? We were where Santa Monica turns into Arguella Boulevard. Lynn said, let's go over the other road, and turned up some curving residential street. Then all of a sudden, a car rushed by us and grazed the fender, and then pulled over to stop. A man in an overcoat and hat, low on his face, came back to apologize. He didn't walk in our headlights at all. Nobody likes to look in the headlights. Have another drink. My treat this time. As soon as he got close, he jerked a scarf up over his nose and a gun was shining at us. Stick up, he said. Be very quiet and everything will be Jake. I passed my things across. He said to hold off calling the police for a while. He would make us a nice, smooth, easy deal. He sounded like a man with some education. Hmm. It might have been dressed up Eddie, only he got bumped off in Chicago. Then they left. 
And we went home, and the next day, I got a call. I told the man to take it up with Lynn, and he would represent me. We agreed on $8,000 and so forth. Does your husband know all this? Of course. Did he make any comment? Probably. I forget. How long have you known Marriott? Oh, years. He used to be an announcer at the station my husband owned. KFDK. That's where I met him. That's where I met my husband, too. Marriott lived as if he had money. He came into some and quit the radio business. Did he borrow it from you? Lynn Marriott was a high-class blackmailer, of course. He lived on women. He had something on you? I got a little tight at his house once and passed out. He took some pictures of me. With my clothes up to my neck. The dirty dog. Have you got any of them handy? What's your name? Phil, what's yours? Helen, kiss me. Mm. I beg your pardon, I'm sure. Who was that? Mr. Grail. Forget him. Come back here, it's all right. He's a sick man. What the hell can he expect? I guess he knows. I tell you it's all right. Isn't that enough? Don't go shrill on me. Just too much scotch. Tonight at the Belvedere Club. Ten o'clock. Is that a good place? Laird Burnett owns it. I know him pretty well. Right. What's the matter? Nothing. Ten o'clock at the Belvedere Club. Don't be too magnificent. All I have is a dinner suit. In the bar? Sure. In the bar. I went across the room and out, without looking back. I walked down the drive and through the gates. Miss Reardon's coupe was drawn up behind my car. I waited. I suppose it was none of my business. What did you think of her? I bet she snaps a mean garter. Do you always have to say things like that? Sometimes I hate men, gigolos. And especially heels who are private detectives. Who told you he was a gigolo? Who? Don't be obtuse. Marry it. It was a cinch guess. You'd like me to mind my own business, is that it? And not have any ideas you don't have first. I thought I was helping a little. I don't need any help. There's nothing I can do for Mrs. Grail. This was a high-class mob. One of them could tell fate sway Jade when he saw it. If he wasn't tipped off. There's that too. Either way, there's nothing in it for me. Not even about psychics? Psychics? My God. And I thought you were a detective. There's a hush on part of this. I've got to watch my step. This grail packs a lot of dough. And law is where you buy it in this town. Look at the funny way the cops are acting. No build-up, no newspaper handout, no chance for the innocent stranger to step in with a trifling clue that turns out to be all important. Nothing but silence and warnings to me to lay off. I don't like it at all. You got most of the lipstick off. I mentioned psychics. Well, goodbye. It was pleasant to know you, in a way. There's the nice little girl. For a guy that's interested in a nice little girl. But I'm not. Ten o'clock, the Belvedere Club. Fooey.
The Indian smelled clear across my office. He stood just inside the corridor, looking as if he'd been cast in bronze. He was a big man from the waist up, and he had a big chest. He looked like a bum. Come quick. Come now. Come where? Me, second planting. Me, Hollywood Indian. Have a chair, Mr. Planting. What can I do for you? You say, come quick. Great white father say me bring you and fire a chariot. Yeah, cut the pig Latin. I'm no schoolmarm at the snake dances. Nuts! Dr. Amtor wants you come quick. Come and fire Nuts! Also, it'll cost him a hundred bucks as a retainer. Huh? Hundred dollars. Iron men. Me no money, me no come. Huh? Big shot. Here. Hundred dollar. You always have a C-note in your hat? He sent you with a hundred bucks? Psychic is right. A guy that smart I'm afraid of. Not God all day. At the top of Stillwood Heights, lonely as a lighthouse, stood an airy, an eagle's nest, an angular building of stucco and glass brick, raw and modernistic, and yet not ugly, and altogether a swell place for a psychic to hang out his shingle. Nobody will be able to hear my screams. Ah, Mr. Marlowe. So very good of you to come. Dr. Amthor, he'll be so very pleased. I will conduct you. <clears throat> she pressed a button and a door slid open. I went through. The door slid shut behind me. There was nobody in the room. It was octagonal, draped in black. In the middle of a cold black rug stood an octagonal white table, and in the middle of it a milk-white globe. On either side of the table was a white octagonal stool. There was one more stool against the wall. There were no windows. There was nothing else in the room. Nothing at all. Please, be seated. Opposite me. Try to relax. <clears throat> now, how may I serve you? I sat down and looked him over. His eyes were deep, far too deep, without expression, without soul. Please, do not fidget. It disturbs my concentration. It makes the butter run and the cat squawk. You didn't come here to be impertinent, I'm sure. I came to ask about some Russian cigarettes filled with marijuana, with your card rolled in the hollow mouthpieces. The answer is simple. There are things I do not know. This is one of them. Then why send a tough Indian in a car... By the way, doesn't the Indian have to stink? If he's working for you, couldn't you sort of get him to take a bath? He is a natural medium. They are rare, like diamonds. And like diamonds, sometimes found in dirty places. You are a private detective? Yep. I think you are a very stupid person. You look stupid. You are in a stupid business. You came here on a stupid mission. I get it. I'm stupid. It sank in after a while. And I think I need not detain you any longer. You're not detaining me. I'm detaining you. I want to know why those cards were in those cigarettes. My cards are available to anybody. They were found on a man named Lindsay Marriott. Ever heard of him? I tried to treat him for camera shyness. He was trying to get into pictures. It was a waste of time. Why did you send me a hundred dollars? My dear Mr. Marlowe, I am in a very sensitive profession. You mean you get a lot of blackmailers? I am in danger at all times from people like you. I merely wish to estimate the danger before dealing with it. 
But pretty trivial in my case, huh? It hardly exists. He made a peculiar motion with his left hand, which made my eyes jump at it. Then he put his hand down slowly. I turned my head. The Indian was sitting on the white stool against the black velvet wall. He had some kind of white smock on over his other clothes. He was sitting with his eyes closed, as if he had been asleep for an hour. His dark, strong face was full of shadows. <laughs> oh, I bet that makes the dowagers shed their false teeth. What does he do for real money, sit on your knee and sing French songs? Get to the point, please. Last night, Mary had hired me to go with him to pay some money to some crooks. I got knocked on the head. When I came out of it, Marriott had been murdered. The cigarettes were found on him. Not by the police, or they would have been here. Correct. Not so trivial now, huh? The hundred dollars was hardly enough. You have these cigarettes with you? As you said, anybody could get your cards. I'm just wondering why they were where they were. Any ideas? By the way, did you ever meet a Mrs. Grail... A wealthy lady lives in Bay City? Yes. I treated her sentence of speech. She had a slight impediment. You did a sweet job on her. She talks as good as I do now. What I like about this job is everybody knows everybody. Mrs. Grail knew Marriott, too. How did you find that out? You are wondering why I do not have you thrown out. Second planting could break your neck like a celery stalk. I am wondering myself. What? is your theory. I think Marriott was a blackmailer of women and finger man for a jewel mob. But who told him what women to cultivate so that he could get intimate with them, make them load up with ice and take them out? That is your picture of Marriott and of me. I am slightly disgusted. You're in a racket. Dress it up how you please. But it's still a racket. His hands moved over the milky bowl and the lights went out. I kicked my stool back, stood up, and jerked the gun out from the holster under my arm. But it was no good. The Indian hit me from behind and pinned my arms to my sides. I let go of the gun and took hold of his wrists. They were greasy and hard to hold. He threw me sideways. He had me in a barrel. His hands went to my neck. Sometimes I wake up in the night. I feel them there. And I smell the smell of them. I feel the breath fighting and losing, and the greasy fingers digging in. Let him breathe a little. Get him on his feet. Something that glinted hit me on the side of the jaw. Amateur. Get the cigarettes out of his pocket. Just where did you say the others were? In my desk, in the office. You're probably lying, but I can find out. Let him go, he's tame. A dirty little man in a dirty little world. He smiled. I swung at his smile with everything I had. I'm so glad you hit me. It helps a great deal. I have visitors coming. I came to sitting on a chair in reception. Amther was by the window. The blood had been washed off his face, but his nose wasn't the nose I had first met. A big cop stood in front of me, holding my wallet in his hand. You got fun, Pally. Peeper, huh, Pally? 
From the big bad burg, huh? Little spot of blackmail, huh? Cops. What do you think, Pally? Not LA. Say something, Pally. Something that would make us get fond of you. Give me back my gun. Oh, you want your gun, Pally? He wants his gun. And what would you want your gun for, Pally? I want to shoot an Indian. Oh, you want to shoot an Indian, Pally? Yeah, just one Indian, Pop. This guy is very tough. He wants to shoot an Indian. Listen, Hemingway, don't repeat everything I say. I think this guy is nuts. He just called me Hemingway. Do you think he's nuts? I think possibly he's a little unbalanced. I don't see no gun. I have it. I'll give it to you, officer. What for did you call me Hemingway, Pally? There are ladies present. Let's go, Pally. I think maybe a little air will help you to get straightened out. Okay, Hemingway. He's doing that again. Would that be some kind of dirty crack in his book? The cop took me down and put me in the front seat of his car. There was an elderly cop with a gray mustache sitting in the back seat. Hurry up. How come you don't have a car with you, Pally? Emphor sent for me. Why would that be, Pally? It must have been he wanted to see me. Oh, this guy's good. He figures things out. Emphor says you try to put a bite on him. Maybe you would like to tell us why? You mean while I still have part of my face? Huh? <laughs> ain't those kind of bars at all. You know Amphor pretty well, don't you, Hemingway? Mr. Blaine kind of knows him, me. I just do what the orders is. Who the hell is Mr. Blaine? That's the gentleman in the back seat. And besides being in the back seat, who the hell is he? Why, Jesus, everybody knows Mr. Blaine. All right. Not a roar between pals and no ladies present. We really don't give so much time to why you went up there. But this Hemingway stuff is what really has me down. Just a gag. Who the hell is this Hemingway person at all? A guy that keeps saying the same thing over and over until you begin to believe it must be good. For a private dick, you certainly have a wondering kind of mind. Are you still wearing your own teeth? Turn right to the next. Check. Here. Well, it's nice to have met you, Pally. But don't come back. Anyways, not on business. Out! <clears throat> I walk from here? Would that alright with you? Sure, it'll give me time to think a few things out. For instance, I'd say you were both Bay City cops. I'm wondering why you were out of your territory. He didn't answer. Neither of them spoke. I started to get out of the car. The man in the back seat made a sudden flashing movement that I sensed rather than saw. A pool of darkness opened at my feet. I dived into it. It had no bottom. The room was full of smoke. It hung straight up in the air in thin lines. I had never seen the room before. There were bars across the windows. I was dull. I felt as if I had slept for a year, but the smoke bothered me. Fire! <sighs> <laughs> what is it? Don't count that one jacket. It sort of slipped out. Maybe you want some more straight jacket? <laughs> I'm fine, Jack. Just fine. Where am I?
Where you belong. Seems like a nice place. The smoke still hung all across the room, like a curtain. A glass porcelain bowl hung from the ceiling. There was light in it. It had little colored lumps around the edge. As I stared, they began to open up like little portals, and heads popped out. Tiny heads, but alive. There was a man in a yachting cap, and a fluffy blonde in a picture hat, and a waiter with a crooked bow tie. Would you like your steak medium or rare, sir? <laughs> It was just a sham porcelain bowl. Soreness in my head and throat and my arm. I rolled up the sleeve of my rough cotton pajamas and looked at my arm. It was covered with pinpricks all the way from the elbow to the shoulder. Ah, dope. That accounted for the smoke and the little heads. Okay, Marlowe. You've been sat down twice, had your throat choked and been beaten half-silly on the jaw with a gun barrel. You've been shot full of hop until you're as crazy as two waltzing mice. Now let's see you do something really tough. Like putting your pants on. <laughs> okay. Better take it easy for a while. <sighs> Time passed. I don't know how long. I had no watch. I'm getting out of here. <sighs> Come on. Come on. <sighs> I walked to the door and back. I walked. I walked. Half an hour of walking and my knees were shaking, but my head was clear. It was worth the rest of my life to lie down again for two minutes. Come on. I walked. They built the pyramids and got tired of them and pulled them down and ground the stone up to make concrete for the boulder dam. I walked through all of it. I stopped walking. I was ready to talk to somebody. I found heavy metal springs under the mattress, about nine inches long. I went to work on them. What is it now? <laughs> All my clothes were in the closet. I dressed and left. Outside was a wide, silent hallway. A crack of light seeped past the edge of an almost closed door. I tiptoed along the runner. I peeked around the door. The man on the bed didn't look up from his newspaper. I had seen the face before, in a Negro dive called Florian's. Mr. Moose Malloy seemed to be in very good hands. 
I left him there and went on down the hall and down a flight of stairs. A voice murmured behind a closed door. That's agreed. Goodbye. It was time to leave, to go far away. So I pushed the door open and stepped in. That buzzer won't buy you anything tonight. I put your tough boy to sleep. With this. Hands on the desk. You've been a very sick man. Is this your gun? I had a nightmare. I dreamed I was tied to a cart and shot full of dope. What were you saying? I made no remark. Remarks want you to make them. Please give me back that gun. What day is it? Sunday. Sunday evening. 48 hours. Who brought me here? You are properly committed by an officer of the law. Officers of the law can't do that. Shake it up and pour it. Who wants me in here and why? I'm in a wild mood tonight. I hear the banshees calling. I haven't shot a man in a week. Speak out, Dr. Fell. If you leave my hospital in this condition, you will get into serious trouble. You a doctor? I'm Dr. Sonnenberg. Who put me in your private funny house? Sergeant Galbraith of the Bay City Police. He and another officer found you wandering outside in a dazed condition. I thought you were an addict who had taken an overdose. If you leave, you will be arrested at once. So long. I leave you to dirtier hands than mine. The front doors were unlocked. The house was on a corner. It was a cool, moist night, no moon. I got a cab home, undressed and went to bed. I had nightmares and woke out of them sweating. But in the morning, I was a well man again. I've been looking for you for two days. Detective Randall, I've been sick. Not here. In a hospital. I ran into a little trouble down in Bay City. What were you doing down there? Some cops took me over the line. I went to see a guy in Stillwood Heights. A man named Jules Amthor? Ah. Miss Reardon told me about the cigarettes. A guy never gets to do anything in this country anymore. Always women. She likes you. She's a nice girl. Not my type. I like smooth, shiny girls. Hard-boiled and loaded with sin. They take you to the cleaners. Where else have I ever been? <sighs> I'm not getting much out of you. I'll give you a theory. This Marriott was a finger man for a jewel mob. The society finger. The boy who would cultivate the victims and set the stage. Get around. He probably did. That's why they bumped him off. You may be right. There was 23000 in a safe deposit box and a trustee to a property on West 54th Place. Uh-huh. Then I happened to read a report about a killing of a black guy on Central by a tough ex-con called Moose Malloy. And sink my pot if you weren't the identifying witness. Uh-huh. So I talked to Nalty, and he said you had an idea about some girl called Velma that Malloy was sweet on, and that you went to see the widow of the guy that used to own the dive on Central, and her address was 1644... West 54th Place. Let's go see her, shall we? unlocked last time. Should we do a neat job? Kick it in. Who cares around here?
That's a nice radio. Costs money. It's paid for. Oh, here's something. Someone pulled the plug. Where would she be? The bedroom. She's been dead long enough. This was done with just a pair of hands. Jesus. What a pair of hands. Look at the neck bruises. You look at them. Poor old Nulty. It's not just a shine killing anymore. shiny black bug with a pink head and pink spots on it was crawling slowly along the polished top of Detective Randall's desk. I figure Moose Malloy. He probably didn't mean to kill her, though. He's just too strong. That won't help him any. You let me handle this. The bug reached the end of Randall's desk, marched straight off into the air, and fell on its back on the floor. What about Amphor? He's gone away. Indians disappear as well. Will you sign a complaint against these people? I couldn't make it stick. I think Amphor had nothing to do with Marriott's death. The cigarettes were planned. What about Dr. Sondenberg? Man from the DA's office went down there. Whole shebang skipped. There's a wall safe they're working on. My guess is that Sondenberg will have a record for treating gunshot wounds or illegal use of dope. Anything else? What do you know about Laird Brunette? He's a gambler. He makes plenty. That doesn't bring us any nearer who killed Marriott. Let me handle the Marriott killing and find Moose Malloy. I got paid on the Marriott business, and Mrs. Grail has hired me. Go home, Marlo. <laughs> you look pretty peaked. I bent down and picked up the pink-headed bug in my handkerchief. Look, this little bug climbs all the way up to your office just to make a friend. I'll be your friend, little fellow. Go home and lie down, Marlow. Have a nice rest. I tucked the handkerchief into my pocket and rode the elevator down to the Spring Street entrance. I put the bug down carefully in a flower bed and wondered how long it would take him to climb back up to the Homicide Bureau again. Then I got in my car and went down to Bay City to look for my favorite cop. Hey, Hemingway. Jesus, you again. What do you want? I want you to tell me why you put me in that funny house. That's Blaine. I didn't mean for him to sap you. Oh, that's okay then. It was just an act. On account of we're friends with this psychic guy, Amthor, and we kind of keep people from bothering him. Them old cops get sap hungry once in a while. You drop like a sack of cement. Then we run you over to Dr. Sondenberg's clinic on account of he was a nice guy to take care of you. Does Amthor know you took me there? Hell no. It was our idea. You gonna get tough? Maybe. What's Dr. Sonderberg's real racket? You wanna tell me that, Hemingway? Okay, listen, Pally. Around here, a cop can't stay honest if he wants to. You gotta play dirty or you don't eat. I got a wife and two kids, and I do what the big shots say. So you do know. If Sonderberg had a racket, a real racket, you wouldn't have come out not walking. I don't think I was meant to come out walking. I think I was being milked in there to find out what I knew. But there are three ways Sonnenberg could have known that there was anything for me to know that might hurt him. Amther might have told him, or Moose Malloy, or you. Who the hell is Moose Malloy? He's on your teletype if you ever read it. Killed a man over on Central a few days ago. I saw him at Dr. Sonnenberg's. 
It figures. Sonderberg was hiding hot boys at his clinic. If they have dough. It's a hideout. Hiding them for who? Who runs this town? You mean the chief? It's Lair Brunette, isn't it? He owns the Belvedere Club. He put up 30 grand to elect the mayor. Might be. Where can Brunette be found? Why ask me, baby? Because you know, don't you? You take a lot of chances coming to speak to me, Mr... Marlowe. Mr. Brunette, what I want Excuse is... me, but that's rather unimportant, isn't it? Who are you? I'm a private detective. I want to talk to Moose Malloy. Oh, the Moose. I'm investigating a murder. The murder of a man named Marriott on the bluff near your Belvedere Club last Thursday night. This murder happens to be connected with another murder of a woman done by Moose Malloy. I'm not asking you yet what it has to do with me. You own a piece of Bay City. A doctor named Sonderberg was running a hideout there. I don't think he could do it without you. Malloy was staying with him. I can't do anything for you, Mr. Marlowe. Could you get a word to Malloy? What word? Here. I'll write it down. Here. It means nothing to me. It'll mean something to Malloy. I don't make you out. You risk your neck to talk to me, then you hand me a card to pass on to some thug I don't even know. Will you? The things I do. I run towns, I elect mayors, I corrupt police, I peddle dope, I hide out crooks, I heist old women strangled with pearls. What a lot of time I have. I can't promise you anything. Thanks. It was about 10 o'clock when I called Mrs. Grail. I thought it would be too late to catch her, but it wasn't. We had a date at the Belvedere Club, remember? Did I strike you as the kind of girl that gets stood up? I ran into trouble. How about tonight? Should I really bother? Drop around here. I'll show you my etching. Just one etching? It's just a single apartment. I heard they had such things. I gave her the address. Then she hung up leaving me with a curious feeling of having talked to somebody that didn't exist. I slipped the catch on the front door, took a shower and lay down. I was a pink-headed bug crawling up the side of the city hall. I was asleep. I got your note. Moose. I hoped you'd drop by. No copper knows anything about this. I just wanted to see you. Door was open. Expecting someone? A dame? If she comes, I'll get rid of her. I'd rather talk to you. What for? You killed a woman, Jesse Florian. I dropped that one. The other one, over on Central, you could have squeezed out of, but not Jesse. You take some awful chances, brother. You didn't mean to kill her. Did you? You wanted her to tell you something. You took hold of her neck and shook her. I know what you wanted her to tell you. What? You thought she might know where Velma was. Uh-huh. But she didn't. Velma was too smart for her, 
Who is it? Open up, silly. It's me. Just a second, Mrs. Grail. Go in the dressing room. I'll get rid of her. Okay. What's going on? Nothing. Nothing's going on. You gonna offer me a drink? Let's talk a little first. What about my jade? Do we have to? I don't think your jade was ever stolen. Wasn't it? I don't think Marriott went to that canyon to buy it. He went to commit a murder. But he was a very bad murderer. He had certain dregs of conscience. And in the end, he didn't do the job because he couldn't make up his mind. Such murders are very dangerous. Sometimes they have to be removed with blackjacks. And who was he about to murder, do you suppose? Me. The motive was rather weak. I was trying to trace a singer. Perhaps I was helping Moose Malloy to find her. Obviously, it was possible to find her, or it wouldn't have been worth pretending to marry it that I had to be killed and killed quickly. But there was a much stronger motive for killing Marriott. Very interesting. If one knows what you are talking about. And one does. A girl who started in the gutter became the wife of a multimillionaire. On the way up, a shabby old woman recognized her, probably heard her singing at the radio station, and this old woman had to be kept quiet. She only knew a little. But the man who dealt with her and made her monthly payments and owned a trust deed on her home, that man knew it all. That didn't matter either, as long as nobody else knew. But someday, a tough guy named Moose Malloy was going to get out of jail and start finding things out about his former sweetie, because the big sap loved her, and still does. That's what makes it funny, tragic funny. And then, a private dick started nosing in also. So, the weak link in the chain, Marriott, is no longer a luxury. He's become a menace. The cops will get to him and take him apart. He's that kind of lad, melts under heat. So he was murdered before he could melt. With a blackjack. By you. I thought I knew the voice. I listened to that voice for eight years. All I could remember of it. Hiya, babe. Long time no see. You look swell. I kind of like your hair red, though. Get away from me, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I never thought. It just came to me out of the blue. You turned me in. You, little Velma. She shot him five times in the stomach. Then she turned the gun and shot at me, but it was empty. She dived from Malloy's gun on the floor, but I knocked it away, picked it up and went away round the bed with it. Malloy was still standing, but he was swaying. She ran for the door, and I didn't try to stop her. I turned him over and put a pillow under his head. Then I phoned Randall. Malloy, in my apartment, shot five times in the stomach by Mrs. Grail. She got away. 
So you had to play clever. It took four men to get him on the stretcher. He has a slight chance. All depends what they hit inside, but he has a chance. He wouldn't want it. He didn't. He died in the night. You ought to have given a dinner party. The women in their vestules and the men in white ties. The suspects with their brittle smiles and restless hands. And you at the head of the table telling all about it in a phony English accent. How about a little drink, Miss Reardon, while you go on being clever? The liquor bills of your lady friends must be something fierce. Anyway, it's not that kind of story. It's not lithe and clever. It's dark and full of blood. So she got away. So far? She must have a little hideout where she can change her clothes and her appearance. How did you know? Those two photos, the society plate I got and the publicity still you got off Jesse Florian, they weren't of the same two women. Mary had switched Jesse's, put Velma's name on another woman's picture. And when Mary called me up and gave me a song and dance about a jewel ransom payoff, it was because I had been to see Mrs. Florian asking about Velma. Mrs. Florian didn't even know that Velma had become Mrs. Grail. They bought her too cheap, and Mr. Grail won't tell what her real name was. Why not? He's so crazy about her, he doesn't care whose lap she sat in. I hope she enjoyed sitting in yours. She was playing me. I bet it's fun to be played by handsome blondes. Do you think she meant to kill Malloy? I think she meant to kill anybody she had to kill. He was in love with her. It didn't matter to him she hadn't ridden to him in six years. He just bought some fine clothes and started to look for her in the minute he got out. So she pumped five bullets into him by way of saying hello. What a world. I finished my drink. You didn't tell me about the psychic, Amther. Or Dr. Sonderberg. Amther's a bad hat. Randall picked him up in New York. I think Randall's had this thing taped for days and was afraid I'd step on the tapes. They haven't found Sonderberg yet. Let's go driving after we've had another drink. You can have mine. You're so marvelous. So brave, so determined. And you work for so little money. What makes you so wonderful? Go on. Spill it. I'd like to be kissed, damn you. Yeah. Little Velma's dad. Randall? Baltimore detective wandered into a nightclub and recognized her. He went backstage and told her he'd seen the wanted file. He said let's go and went to help her into a coat. She shot him through it three times and then turned the gun on herself. He lived until the next day. That's how we know. She shot herself clean through the heart. She was stupid. Why? We'd never have convicted her, not with her looks and money. Grail would have got her off. Maybe she was tired of dodging. Maybe she wanted to give Grail a break. She didn't have to shoot a cop to do that. Who would that trial have hurt most? An old man who loved not wisely but too well. Pfft, that's just sentimental. Sure. Probably all a mistake anyway. Did my bug 
Ever get back up there? What? My little pink bug. Marlowe, I don't know what you're talking about. So long. I left my office and went down onto the street. It was a cool day and very clear. You could see a long way, but not as far as Velmer had gone. Farewell, My Lovely, by Raymond Chandler, was adapted for radio by Robin Brooks. Philip Marlowe was played by Toby Stevens, Moose Malloy by Richard Ridings, and Mrs. Grail by Madeleine Potter. Morrison was played by Pat Starr, Anne Reardon by Claire Harry, Randall by Jude Akawudike, Nulty by Sean Baker, and Jesse Florian by Joanna Monroe. Galbraith was played by Lloyd Thomas, Marriott by Ian Batchelor, Sonderberg by Adil Akhtar, and Laird Brunette by Sam Dale. Other parts were played by members of the cast. Farewell, My Lovely was directed by Mary Peet. The producer was Claire Grove. Thank <laughs> you.